Joe Gabbard, we're in for a special treat this morning, so let's give him a hand. And thank you, Joe. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, Pastor Sean and Lisa are at a leadership conference in California. At least that's what they're saying. We know they're in California. Um, no, they're at Bethel Church um, worshiping this morning, and so they're not with us. You, um, you're stuck with me this morning. If this is your first time here, welcome, and I'm sorry you're stuck with me. Have to come back. Uh, it's really neat that they shared this morning, and you got to see some pictures. We have a really neat opportunity at the end of this summer, uh, and we're just calling it a family missions trip, but we're staying in the States. We're going to Tampa. There is uh, a group of Haitian refugees and family members who are in the Tampa area. There's a Tampa um, Haitian church that we've partnered with, and they're asking us to come and bring a team just to kind of bless them. We're going to do a VBS. Uh, they're going to do nightly revival services. There's some construction projects. And so even though we'll be in Tampa, it'll feel like you're in Haiti just ministering to these people who, like they share are extremely hungry for God, and they have all these kind of natural needs too. And we're calling this a family mission trip. We want your kids to come. We want teenagers to come. We want mom and dad, you to come, grandma and grandpa, we want you to come. We'll have information um, in your bulletin and on our website. You can find out more information about that. It's at the end of the summer. Um, it's really an honor to share with you this morning. Um, I love Pastor Sean and Lisa so much. Um, I've known them for years, and before I was on staff here at the church, they were really and have been, continue to be, pastors to Raman and I. Um, difficult times we were going through in ministry. Uh, he's one of the first people that I've called over the years. Just another pastor in town, and um, he's uh, encouraged me. He's challenged me. I've laughed with him. I've cried with him. Uh, just have a deep respect to them. Our, our pastors here... Uh, meaning Pastor Sean and Lisa, they pastor us. They care about you. Um, you're on their minds and their hearts, and um, we're just so thankful to serve here at Cornerstone Church. I'm going to share this morning, and I just titled it, A Jesus Moment. A really neat thing, you've, you've been doing the last several weeks, uh, we've been reading different testimonies, and at times we had the service where we just brought people up and share different testimonies. And I started to hear, you know, down, I was downstairs working with the kids, and I heard how all these testimonies and everything that was going on, and I thought to myself, we've got to do that with the kids. And it was totally impromptu as the kids came in, and I was up front, I, I said, hey, is there, is there anyone in here that wants to share what God's doing in your life? And uh, like every hand went up, and I said, well, let me just pick two. So I picked this young man, and he comes up on the stage, and of course, He's not prepped, and I have no idea what he's about to say, which is a good mix. And he gets up there, and just, just this real tender testimony. He said, God has just really been working on my heart. He's like, I, I just feel the love of God. I'm being changed by it. God is giving me a peace and a joy. But he was really nervous when he was up sharing this testimony. And he was stumbling over a few words and uh, you know, stuttering just a bit. And there were a couple kids that were laughing as he was given this testimony. And before I could get over there to tell them to kind of settle down, he's saying, God has just given me such a love and such a peace. He's like, hey, you boys, if you don't stop, I'm going to come off this stage and punch you in the face. <laughs> and God has given me such a joy and peace and love. <laughs> it was just so precious and 
true moment. <laughs> I told that story, and Pastor Sean said, you have to share that with everybody. You have to tell them that story. So if you laugh when I stutter, I'm going to come off this state now. <laughs> if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to go ahead and read through all these scriptures here. I think I'm out of the NIV this morning. It starts with immediately, which as you know, ties us to the previous story. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Verse 46. After leaving them, he, meaning Jesus, went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. There's a separation there. Verse 48, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. That's where you put a little question mark. He's about to pass them by. Why? Verse 49, but he saw that, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 51 and 52. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, catch this last verse here, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. This story immediately follows the feeding of the 5,000. John says, when he's telling this story, the feeding of the 5,000, he says that the people in the crowd were proclaiming, surely, this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the prophet who's come to save the world. It is, for lack of a better explanation, it is like a revival moment. I mean, Jesus is teaching a teaching we'll forever remember. He's giving this great teaching, and it's highlighted at the end by this unexplainable miracle. And this crowd that's 5,000 men, likely 20,000 plus with kids and women. Just a huge crowd as Jesus is teaching. And it's like electric. I mean, the atmosphere, the miracles and the teaching. I mean, everything is going right. It seems like maybe it's a Jesus moment, right? A moment that changes everything. But Jesus breaks up the crowd. He ends the meeting. And he puts the disciples in a boat. And he's standing in the sand. And he's in the back. And he's pushing the boat. And it gets in the water. And he lets it go. And he says, I'll see you guys in a little bit. And the boat goes off. And they're thinking, this is a first. What's, what's he doing? And as the boat starts to go off, Jesus goes up on the mountainside to pray. 
it says immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. If you're going through a struggle this morning, I don't know why. Sometimes we think, it's me. I messed up. I made a bad choice. I'm in the wrong relationship. I shouldn't have bought that. I shouldn't have done this. And I shouldn't have. And we could become overwhelmed thinking we've put ourselves in this situation. If I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be going through this struggle. If I wouldn't have made that decision, my now would look a lot different. And we could just tear ourselves to pieces saying, it's my fault. I'm in the boat. Sometimes we're in the boat because it's the enemy attacking us. You don't know why you're sick. And you don't know why this isn't working. And you don't know why that broke. And you don't have the money to pay that bill. It's the unknown. God, I don't know what's going on. A lot of us, we say, I kind of live in the unknown. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand this. It, it doesn't seem to be fair. We don't understand why we're going through the struggle. And we don't understand why we're in the boat. And there are times, at least one in your Bible, where Jesus puts you in a boat. And he pushes it. And you're saying, What? <laughs> And those are the ones that really cause us to question. But God, I mean, you opened that door. I don't understand why it's not working now. God, you gave me that dream. You gave me that vision. Why is it not working? I mean, God, it, it wasn't us. You made that happen. God, you made all these things fit together. But now it's so difficult. God, now it's a storm. Now, God, I'm in the boat and I feel like it's your fault. So I don't know your struggle this morning, and I don't know the why. Thankfully, it doesn't matter near as much as we think. Here's what Paul said. In prison, being beaten daily, lack of food, and then he hears that his teaching is being changed. They're taking the gospel, and they're changing it. And he gets this report in prison, and here's what he says. He says, what does it matter? As long as Christ is preached and the gospel is advanced. Now, I know this morning, in your struggle, you don't want to hear that. You connect that dot. I'm not saying that to you in your struggle, but it is possible in our storm. The Lord is saying, hold on. In the midst of that storm, I'm advancing the gospel. In your situation... You know what's so nice about the unknown is that God is able to seamlessly, and it seems like with ease, move into our unknown because there is nothing that he does not know. So when something overwhelms us and it seems like an unknown and there's not an answer and our cry is not answered, God can seamlessly and with ease move into your unknown. When a doctor say, well, we're not for sure what this is. God is not moving in the unknown. When you say, I don't understand why my kids are acting like this. What has Joe done with them down there? Listen, God is able to move in our unknown because he knows. In this situation, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And he's actually a little bit methodical about it. 
In verse 48, it says, Jesus up on the mountain, and this will mess with our theology a little bit. Jesus is sitting on the mountain up high, probably a little bit comfortable, and he's watching. And verse 48 says, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now get this picture. Jesus put them in the boat. He pushed them off. He ran up the mountain and said, I got to get up there to watch this, right? And it says he went up to pray, so he prayed, and then he watched. He's like, God, this has this got to be quick this time. We, we got we to watch this. And they look, and they're like, there it is. And they're straining at the oars. And the very sea that he put them into, now there's a storm. And the disciples are stuck. It says they are stuck in the middle of the lake. And they're continuing to move, but they're not getting anywhere. Have you ever been on one of those paddle boats? That is like the worst invention ever. Once, I think, Ronan, once we did that, I decided our marriage was not strong enough for them paddle boats. We, because you got to do it in unison, right? Or you just, you go in circles. It's, some of you are like, oh yeah, it's, it's horrible. And that's exactly their situation. They're moving and they're moving and they're moving but they're not moving. They're just, you ever feel like there's a wind you're facing? Every time you feel like you get through something, there's something else. So every time you save a little bit of money, it's a car. And then you pay for that and you save a little bit more and then it's this. And then it's this. It's like that wind doesn't stop. And every time you feel like, God, I feel like I've overcome this situation now. And then you feel like you're in this situation again. I had a young man last week who came to me and sat in my office in tears and saying, I cannot break this sin over my life. I've asked God. I've cried. It, it, won't, it won't end. And, and he said, I am struggling. And I thought, I thought of this, that kind of feeling that we're just, we're, we're working, we're working, we're working, but we're not getting anywhere. I'm not, God, I, I don't have peace. I don't have joy. Or, or is it depression? You can't break that. It doesn't matter how much you read, and it doesn't matter what you listen to. It doesn't matter what you know that you know it won't go. Like, it won't break. It's like a cloud, and the sun won't shine through. Like, my storm won't break. I've tried everything you're supposed to try. It won't stop. And so you can have this picture that God is not involved, and he's just watching. Or you can have an accurate picture where God is watching you straining and he says keep on hold on I'm coming hold on keep moving is that how you row or is this how you, I don't know keep keep I don't know keep doing what you do to keep the boat going keep keep going as long as you're straining as long as you're still able to to move that arm it's to, you're gonna make it and maybe that's a word like the depression hasn't broken. You're here this morning. Maybe this morning is your Jesus moment. Let it be today. But if it's not, then it's tomorrow. And if it's not, it's Tuesday. And on and on and on. God is not just watching, saying, oh, well. No, he's cheering you on. Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you right now. He's on your side. 
He's not against you. He came and died and rose again for you. So you're straining saying, it's, it's just me. God won't listen. He won't answer. He's coming. I love Galatians 6, 9. It says simply, don't get weary in well-doing. In due season, you'll reap. In due season. Yesterday, I made the horrible decision of going to Worlds of Fun with my two sons and getting on a water ride. It was under 60 degrees. And the name of this ride, I should have known. Like today, I'm talking about people in a boat. I should have connected. God, I should not get in a boat the day before that message. I'm going to turn into my own illustration. It happened. So I get in this, this round boat. The ride is called Fury of the Nile. And I got in that boat, and my sons say to me, they're like, Dad, you're going to get soaked. And I said to them, I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) I said, I will unbuckle that seatbelt, and I will run to the other side of this boat. Well, it was just the three of us, so there was these uh, three young girls who had to join us, so we had a full boat. And we got in this boat, and everything was going fine. About halfway through it, everyone is soaked except for me. And we get to this one point where there's like this big turn in the Nile. And our boat starts to go through this passageway, but something happens and we bounce and go backwards. And now our boat is just spinning. But we're not moving. I'm telling you, I immediately find this message. (laughs) And we're just spinning and we're not moving. And I said... I needed somebody else to freak out because I'm the adult. <laughs> Nobody was. And so I, I said something that maybe get them to freak out. I said, hey, you guys think we're stuck? And these three teenage girls who I don't know are like, oh, my goodness, we're stuck. We're stuck. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what did I start? <laughs> and then my sons are like, dad, are we, are we really stuck? And we're just sitting there spinning. Now, there is this ridiculous thing that should not be turned on when it's under 60 degrees that shoots water, I thought, randomly. And so it just shoots. And we're in that place where we're just spinning. And to make things worse, 55 degrees, this water, whoosh, shoots right at us. Now I'm wet. And because we're stuck, I'm thinking in 10 or 15 seconds, that stupid cannon is going to shoot us again. (laughs) And sure enough, whoosh. And I start to hear laughter. And I'm thinking, I don't know which one of these kids is laughing, but I'm about to throw them out of the boat. (laughs) And I look, and they're all still scared. And I'm like, who is laughing? And I look around, and there is a guy (laughs) with a world's of fun, polo, (laughs) and sunglasses, and I think he's taking pictures of us. (laughs) He's just watching the whole thing, and he's got something in his hand. I think he has the trigger that's shooting the water over and over and over. In that moment, I felt like we were stuck. We were really at the mercy of this 15-year-old kid who works at Worlds of Fun. 
And just at the moment, he does something, and our boat is released, and we're able to keep on going. Sometimes we think that's God. Like, we're stuck, and he's just pouring it on. I'm stuck. It's not getting better, and now it's something else. Like, God, you're just not listening. God, you're just not answering. God, where are you? It's getting worse. It's getting worse. And we look, and we have this picture of God like he's either not involved or he's angry, and he's punishing us. And that's why our situation is going on. The Bible is very specific here in verse 48. I don't know even the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, a portion of Scripture that gives us such specific times as these Scriptures do. In verse 48, it says, It is about the fourth watch of the night he went out to him. So we know that this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It is, depending on when you go to bed, it is really late at night or really early in the morning. It is extreme either way. So they have been struggling for at least six hours, possibly nine hours. I don't know at what point God is coming to you in your storm, but he's coming. Your struggle has a beginning. And maybe you can think back to it. But your struggle has a beginning. Ronan is thinking the day I met Joe. My struggle has a beginning. And your struggle has an end. Or an end. There, nobody amens the second one. Or an end. Or an end. The good news is there is a beginning and there is an end. Here's the really good news. God has neither one. Like he was there before your struggle. He's there during your struggle. And he's going to lead you through it at the end. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have a start. He doesn't have an end. He's not going to end on you. This is not the end of you. This is not the end of your dream. This is not the end of your passion. This is not the end of your healing. This is not the end. It's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. It's somewhere between your 6 and 9 hours. It's just the middle. And I know we want our Jesus moment now. And I believe that. I will pray for anyone. Right now, God, heal them. Right now, save them. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3.11. He makes everything beautiful in its time. Man, why do you have to put the last three words? But he makes everything beautiful. So verse 49 and 50, it says, so Jesus goes down, he walks on the water, and it says... He was intending to pass them. And it says, as they see him, they thought he was a ghost. It's not unusual. Because they live with Jesus. They know everything about him. They know exactly what he looks like. They know the length of his beard. They know if he parts his hair here, here, or in the middle. They know everything. They probably know Jesus' favorite food. They know what time he wakes up. They know what time he likes to go to bed. They know him so well, but they see him on that day in their storm, and they're like, it's a ghost. 
church, it's possible that your struggle seems so overwhelming that you can't even see that God is right there. In your struggle and in your storm, you'd say, God, why have you forsaken me? It's like, I'm right here. I'm right here. But they perceive him to be a ghost, and they're terrified. But it says he gets in a boat with them. Now, they have been in a boat with Jesus before. And Jesus sleeps through the storm, and they're fighting the storm. But finally, Jesus wakes up, and Jesus speaks to the storm. He says, peace, be still, and the storm stops. So as soon as they realize it's Jesus, they're like, oh, he's going to do that one thing. They're like elbowing each other. Hey, remember, remember he yells to the storm, and the storm's like, sorry, and it fixes itself. They're like, this is that moment, right? Jesus faces the storm, and then he turns to them, and he says to them, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. They're like, no, you fix the storm. And he's like, no, I'm here for you. I'm not here yet to end the storm. And see, the temptation, church, is when we allow our struggle to redefine who God is. Instead, it's the character and the nature of God to define us in our storm, to strengthen us in our storm. I love the verse that says, glory to glory, he changes us. So he visits us in our struggle, and he leads us up out of that, and we are forever changed. It is us who is changed in the storm. And so maybe you've prayed and asked God to heal you, and you're not healed yet. And so you would start to say, well, maybe God really isn't a healer. I've prayed for my son. I've prayed for my grandson, my granddaughter, my daughter. But they're not saved yet. And the temptation is to allow our struggle and our storm To redefine to us who God is. Well, God must not be that because. God must not be happy with me because. God must not whatever because of the storm. But listen, this is why we do church. This is why in your struggle, you're here this morning. And so somebody else can lay hands on you and say, he's right there. I know you can't see him because of your struggle, but he's right here. He's here right now. This is why when you struggle, keep coming, keep praying, keep calling, reach out, go to a small group, do something to continue in spite of your storm. This is even why we were sinners, still Christ died for us. So the big question is, why God? (laughs) Why this story? Why push him into the water? We don't have to guess. The Bible tells us. Verses 51 and 52 says, They were completely amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Let's revisit that story really quick. Feeding of the 5,000. Great teaching all day long. The disciples pull Jesus aside. And they say, Jesus, we got to end this thing. 
you've got to send these people back home. They've been here all day long, and they're extremely hungry. You've got to end this. They're hungry. Jesus never sends hungry people away. The disciples say, we got to send them away. Like, you've taught them really well. But they have a greater need now. Like, you've taught them really well, but don't you know their struggle, God? You've got to send them away to fend for themselves. That's not your God. That is not our God. That is not our Savior. Jesus doesn't send hurting people away. He doesn't say, you're not good enough. He doesn't say, you messed up. He doesn't say, you shouldn't have got in that relationship. He doesn't say, oh, you can't break that sin. You can't overcome on your own. Oh, it's a generational thing. No, you got to go fix that yourself. We're not ready for you yet. Your need disqualifies you from your Savior? No. Jesus says, you think they're hungry bellies was a difficult lesson. I'm, because I got a little bit of Texas in me, I'm fixing to put you in a boat. And you're going to get really hungry because your hearts are hardened. And listen, church, if you're in a struggle this morning, if you're hurting this morning, this is your house. This is your Jesus moment. I mean, maybe it's not the end today, but you're going to leave here with joy or peace, or healing, or the answer. It is your Jesus moment. Brokenness deserves a Jesus moment. No one is sent away. Scripture says, boldly come before him in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin, in all of our struggle. But it's a habit. I can't break it. I shouldn't even be here this morning. Yes, you should. This is your Jesus moment. Jesus moments were made for brokenness. That's what they were. The Jesus moment was not the great teaching. The Jesus moment was not even the meal. The Jesus moment was not, oh my goodness, we could have a revival. The Jesus moment are people connecting with Jesus as their everything. He's everything. And if you don't know him this morning, he is your everything. He's not angry. He's not mad. He's not here to punish you. He's here to say, come. Come. Whoever is hungry, whoever is thirsty, come. Today is your Jesus moment. It was that moment when they were faced without the ability to feed the crowd, their Jesus moment. Several years ago, Ron and I were in ministry at a church in Houston. And we were on staff there. And we started to do some outreaches in a community really similar to what we do here in the church. And we picked some areas where there was government housing. And we went to them and we partnered with them just to do like little festivals and really evangelistic meetings. They were very okay with us sharing the gospel to um, have these meetings and just reach out to kids and families. And we would start to do this at least once a month on a Saturday, just set up a portable sound system. Again, real similar to what... Um, we do here at Cornerstone Church. If you're not aware of that, you need to partner with Mitch and find out about those outreaches that we do. And we were doing that, and it was on one of those trips that I found, now this is Texas barbecue, so excuse me, but I found an excellent barbecue restaurant. 
And um, I kind of make it a habit then while we were doing these outreaches. At some point, I would disappear, get a bite to eat, and then rejoin the outreach. <laughs> My dad was visiting from out of town. And I said, Dad, I I've got to take you to this barbecue restaurant. Um, the restaurant was called the Barbecue Shack. And that's really what it was. I mean, it was a broken down building. Um, and you walked in, and just like a barbecue restaurant should be, I mean, the walls were stained, the floor was stained, and you smell like smoke for weeks. It's, it's a little early for lunch, but, um, and so it was a Saturday night. I said, Dad, it's called the Barbecue Shack. Don't judge it by how it looks. You're going to love it. And uh, so we went. My oldest son, it's been several years ago, um, had just been born. And so it's Ron and myself, my dad, and uh, my newborn son, Jace. And we're sitting in this restaurant. We're the only people there. There's employees there. It's about 6 o'clock on a Saturday night. And Ron in very nonchalantly says to me, Joe, I think we're being robbed. As soon as she says that, I turn my head. Somebody runs to our table with a gun and starts screaming and yelling at us to get up, get up, get up. They take us into the kitchen. The employees are already kind of tied up in the kitchen. They ask for all of our money and jewelry and everything that we had, and we give it to them. They tie us together. There's three guys. Two of them have guns. And we're, we're robbed that night at this restaurant. Um, they tied us all together, put us in a back room. We really thought that night, because of their behavior and how they acted and just... We thought we were going to die. The owner came in to do the money drop in the middle of all this going on, and there was a struggle and a fight, and we didn't know exactly what was going on. We could only hear it, and so he came and joined us all tied up, blood running down his face, um, and we just waited and waited and waited, afraid to kind of come out. So they had robbed the place and left, and um, we called the police. The police came. We did our report and everything like that, and I was talking to one of the officers afterwards, and he just asked me, he said, why are you here on a Saturday night? And I said, I was here to eat. And he's like, you, you guys shouldn't, they close like at 6 or 7 on a Saturday night. They're not open late on weekends. He's like, this area is horrible with crime. You, you shouldn't have been here. And I said, well, I said, we come all the time, you know, on the weekends, and we bring kids and families, and we do outreaches. And he just shakes his head. He's like, you guys can't be doing that. He's like, do you have any idea of the gangs that are here and the violence? And he's like, we can't even keep this safe. We can't keep you. He's like, you, you shouldn't be doing that. And immediately, in my heart, I just agreed. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I was in shock still. And, and I remember that Ronan, it really shook us for weeks. Um, Ronan went and stayed with her parents for a while. I was home alone, and I couldn't sleep at night. A fear wasn't like, I'm afraid of that. It was like a real thing that was on me. And everywhere I went, I would hear a sound and I would startle and jump. I mean, a car drove by my house at night and I would wake up alert. Just constant, like I couldn't function at all. Just, it was all over me. I remember I went up to the pastor that I worked for and I was in tears and I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry that I've been taking kids families into that neighborhood I said I'm, I, I was just naive I should have known better I'm so sorry and I told him I said I will never do it again and he says to me he says I understand completely 
are you sure? And I said, I will never, I will never do it again. So people in the church, of course, found out. Where we were was in the newspaper. It was a big story. And it said, local pastors robbed in shock attack. And some people came up to me and says, Joe, really feel like what we've been doing in that neighborhood. And all those outreaches, and I could hear it. I was like, here's a parent in a church about to get really, really upset at me. Here we go. And they said, we've really got to talk about this. I mean, we've been going in those neighborhoods. I, we had no idea of the crime. We had no idea. And they said to me, would it be okay if we bought a school bus and we started driving into that neighborhood on weekends and doing, like, more ministry? And maybe we could even, like, start bussing kids in on Sundays so they can worship with us at church. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And they said, we've got teams. We're ready to buy a bus now. Like, we'll go buy it right as, as soon as this conversation's over. And I was like, okay, I guess. And I had another family say, hey, when, when we start bringing all these kids and all these families and we're busting them into the church, it's not fair that they just sit through our lessons and classes. Like, they haven't even had breakfast yet. It's, it's not fair. It's not right. And they said, we want our whole fellowship hall. Be like, we want to turn it into like a restaurant for them. Not members in our church. Only guests we bus in. We want them to come in and we want them to sit down and have bacon and eggs and sausage and pancakes. And I'm like, who's going to do all this? They're like, we've already got the team ready to do it. We're all ready to do it. You just say yes. And I was like, okay. And then ushers came to me and they said, would it be weird? If, like, right before the bus got here, like, we start bringing the ushers outside, and we're bringing the greeters outside, and we're bringing families outside. And as they're coming off the bus, we're just high-fiving them and welcoming them and hugging them and loving on them. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> and you guys, as far as I know, to this day, that ministry continues. I mean, Dozens and dozens and dozens of kids got saved. Families brought back together. People healed and saved and delivered. I had no idea that my storm was a Jesus moment. I had no idea that storm that wanted me to end everything was about to turn our little neighborhood upside down for the kingdom of God. I don't know at what point your struggle turns, but just keep rowing. Hang on and keep moving. You're like, those are Jesus words we say. I can't hang on. Let us lay hands on then to encourage you to keep on. We are waiting for our Jesus moment, but it comes in the midst of somebody's storm. Lord Jesus, I pray today. I pray for anyone this morning who's in a struggle and in a storm. I pray just as David prayed this beautiful prayer in the Old Testament, being chased, running for his life, nobody to trust. He says, God rend the heavens and come down for me. God split the divide between heaven and earth. You got to come down for me. And I say that prayer over those in a struggle right now. God rend the heavens and come down for them. God, whatever divide there seems to be between heaven and earth, split it. 
and calm down now. Yes, Lord. I pray a Jesus moment right now. I pray those that are sick healed now in Jesus' yes, name. Jesus. Now. I pray it now in Jesus' name. I pray there are those who are not walking in a relationship with you. Those that say, I'm not saved, I'm not a believer. I pray your moment right now in Jesus' name. Let this be your Jesus moment. Scripture says simply, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just call on him right now. This is your Jesus moment. Whether it's a relationship or finances or fear, worry, doubt, depression, whatever it is, oh God, let this be our Jesus moment. And God, I pray as a church, I pray this for Cornerstone Church. I pray this for every small group in our church. I pray for every individual that's going to be at work on a Monday morning and it feels like hostile territory. I pray, let us bring a Jesus moment to our world. In our home, in our work, use us to step into someone else's storm. Use us to say, he's here. He's here right now. God, let us not make the mistake the disciples did by pushing away hungry people. Instead, God, help us to turn our arms open wide to welcome them in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.